Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 152, The Faith Experiment. It's around this time of year that I start getting really itchy to start gardening. I am envious of you Southern California and Arizona listeners. You have such a long growing season. But last year, I did something kind of fun. I collected a whole bunch of milk jugs and two liter bottles, and I made mini greenhouses out of them. And I planted seeds for the first time. I had never done that before, and it was kind of exciting to me. And because I started at the end of March, it was still kind of cold outside. We can't really start planting until around Mother's Day. And so I took really great care to protect these seeds. I took mulched leaves from the fall before and I surrounded the jugs with them just for some added warmth. And then to protect them from the wind that we get around that time of year, I got a plastic tarp and I covered the jugs just to also keep some heat in. And then I watered them carefully and I moved them into the best light possible. And and I would watch out to see when are the freezes happening or a cold snap. And when that would happen, I would fill up the extra jugs I had with hot water and I would place them around surrounding the jugs. And it just, again, it just kind of added more warmth under there. It was really kind of cool. It was fun. <laughs> and almost every day I would go out and I would check the the seeds. And it was just therapeutic for me. Truthfully, it was just a little bit of me quiet time to just go out and observe the seeds. And when I started to see little sprouts coming up, it just, it felt so satisfying because I had marked each one of the jugs. I knew what was growing in them. And I would peep in them and I would just kind of express my hope in what I desired them to become. If it was a tomato, I imagined a tomato plant and I just planned where it would be planted in my garden. And if it was marigolds, I imagined how beautiful they would be bordering my tomatoes. And then for the pole beans, I just anticipated their growth into one day being a vine that would climb the teepee that I had made for them. And I would express these desires and I just kept them visible in my mind as I day by day tended to the seeds. Planting from seed for me, it took a lot of patience and trust. Trust in the directions that I was following and trust that I was doing it right. Trust that the seed itself was good and also patience to believe that some sort of transformation was happening, even though I didn't know how or I couldn't see below the surface. I couldn't see that seed swelling. I just had to have patience and trust that it was. And it took diligence just to not get distracted and abandon my experiment. And I discovered that some seeds sprouted really quick and some took a really long time. And some of the seeds I had to replant again because I just wasn't sure if anything was working. (laughs) Sometimes I had to just really plan on their gestation period. And I wondered for some of these seeds, I wondered if I started them too early. I'm not sure. And I remember at one point I started getting a little impatient 
Again, I added some seeds because I wasn't sure that anything was happening in the greenhouses. And I started also watering the seeds with a cup. I was using a spray bottle before just so I wouldn't overwhelm them. But then I thought, well, I'm just going to use a cup. But I discovered that I have less control over the pressure of the water. And some of these jugs became waterlogged, which wasn't good. (laughs) because it happened to coincide with a freeze snap that we received in late April. And too much water and then really cold temperatures, it was just too much for the tender sprouts. And I tried to fix my mistake by opening up the greenhouses and hoping to dry them out. But the tender sprouts, they just withered and they died. And that was a really good lesson for me on how to be consistent and how to treat these sprouts with great care, not giving them more than they can handle, not expecting more out of them than what they could do at that point. Now, some seeds, they didn't even grow at all. And I'm not sure what went wrong with the seeds. I'm not sure if it was the brand of seeds or the conditions or me. I'm not sure. But most grew exceptionally well, I can say. Now, you might think that my story is over because you thought maybe I was talking about seeds, but I haven't told you about the fruits of my labor. We did well. What I planted from seed grew remarkably well. In fact, compared to what I bought from the local nursery, it was so much more abundant. But at some point in the summer, I began to neglect my garden. I wasn't frequently going out there anymore. The basil plant became overgrown. The beans that just all seemed to come out at once were just eventually forgotten. And I even grew tired of zucchini and tomatoes, and they were just growing everywhere. I couldn't eat it all. And instead of having a plan on what I could do with my bounty, I could have canned it. I could have like put it in the freezer. I could have given it to neighbors. I just sort of turned my back on it. And maybe I was distracted by the yummy things of summer, like ice cream and slushies, (laughs) instead of eating and storing my vegetables for later days that would have given me better nutrition and it would have sustained me. I don't know, the ice cream and slushies, they were pretty distracting to me. It was uh, in the fall when I was winterizing the garden that I thought to myself, um, when was it? that I lost my enthusiasm over the seeds. For me, it wasn't when they were in the ground swelling. That was nerve-wracking for me. It was a little uncomfortable, to be honest with you. I just wasn't sure that I was doing it right. And I wasn't sure that anything was going to come out of it. And I was exercising a belief that this little tomato seed would grow into a plant big enough to fill a tomato cage or a bean that would grow to climb a trellis. And it wasn't even during the delicate stage where the seed had begun to grow and was sprouting and it was tender and it needed great care from uh, to be protected from the elements. It wasn't then. In all of those stages, I was present. But my enthusiasm happened to dim when the fruit was abundantly popping out. Isn't that interesting? And I became overwhelmed by the abundance. And lacking a real plan to use it, I then just sort of started taking it all for granted, kind of letting it all drop to the ground, and I just kind of stopped working it. And today, as we study Alma chapter 32 through 35, I'd like you to kind of keep in mind this experiment that I did last year. As we talk about 
what Alma taught the Zoramites about experimenting upon the word of God. It was the poor among the Zoramites who first started to listen to Alma. They had labored hard on the building up the synagogues that the people worshipped in, where the Ramiamptons were. Yet they were not allowed to come in because of their poverty, because of the coarseness of their clothing, because they were considered filthy. They were considered useless and not welcomed to worship in the synagogues. And they asked Alma, what are we to do? We have no place to worship God. And Alma, seeing how the mistreatment of others had actually humbled this group of people, he taught them how to become spiritually self-reliant. And being spiritually self-reliant isn't done by sign-seeking or even being forced into humility. It's done by faith. Faith is not a perfect knowledge of things, but it's having a hope for things which are not seen which are true. And by this definition, I think it's really important for us to realize that every human being on this planet is walking by faith. Not all of us are walking with faith in Jesus Christ, but we're all walking in faith in something. None of us know the end from the beginning. None of us have the proof of all things. And all of us are putting faith in something in order to have something that we can't see right now eventually take place. We're anticipating those results. Now, that doesn't mean that these aren't true principles that are being worked from time to time. But even our goal setting is having a belief that if we do certain things, if we work by faith, we will obtain certain results. It's not an absolute knowledge. And just so you know, this is good news. This is the great plan of a very merciful God, because Alma taught us how much more cursed is he that knoweth the will of God and doeth it not, than he that only believeth, or only hath cause to believe, and falleth into transgression. Have you ever thought of it that way? So our need to act in faith is actually a protection for us. It protects us from open deliberate rebellion. It gives us the opportunity for God to treat us better than we deserve when we err or when we get caught up in the messages of the adversary because we weren't acting with a perfect knowledge of things. It's kind of like our no blame clause and it gives us the space to figure things out here on earth to figure out what God's word is and to practice it, not just to comply because we're being forced or because we're scared of the consequences because we have an absolute knowledge. No, it's allowing us space and time to learn the truth of God's ways and then to choose to desire it for ourselves. This is the only way that God can win the, our hearts truthfully and sincerely. And our lack of absolute knowledge is actually protecting us against the agency that he's given us. Faith is our safety net. It allows us to, to use the atonement. It allows us to use the atonement abundantly and then to receive redemption It allows us to undramatically change course. Isn't that awesome? And this experimenting 
can start now. In fact, doing it within the walls of a synagogue isn't really ideal. And you know that. We go to church to learn, but it's outside of church that all of the work happens. And it's got to be done more than once a week. And Alma invites the Zoramites to awake and arouse your faculties. And what I hear him saying is, get engaged. Wake up and put forth some effort. Learn the word. Listen to the word of God. And just don't take my word for it. But you need to go home and do your homework about it. And experiment with it. So where does one begin? Just like I couldn't walk past the seeds at the store and look at the packet and say to myself, I wish for a zucchini. May a zucchini grow in my garden. Just like it required me to purchase that packet and take it home and actually open the packet up, find a spot, and then get brave and plant it. That is exactly what we need to do with the word of God. And all of this is done by the power of faith, believing in things We can't see which are true. And where we begin is we begin with just a belief. Even a desire to believe is enough to start. And we make room for it in our hearts and we nurture this desire. Alma likened the word of God to a seed. And just like I had a desire to see my vegetable and flower seeds grow, I had to make a place for it. And then I had to nurture it with diligence and patience and long-suffering, daily watering it, checking on it, anticipating its growth, and then allowing for the required length of time for it to grow. Because it might be a slow-growing seed that we're planting. We like the fast-growing ones, right? Less anxiousness about whether it'll bear fruit. It's just its immediate gratification. But sometimes it is a slow-growing one that we're planting, And it's laying down deep roots. But if I can't see it, you might ask, if I'm doing all of this by faith, then how do I know it's a good seed? How do I know it's swelling and sprouting? And the answer is because of the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because of that, we can come to know that the seed is good. We can feel that swelling within us. We can feel that outer shell of the seed burst open and start to take sprout and root within us. And it feels like greater understanding and enlightenment of our minds. And it feels expansive. And it also feels doable. And when this is happening within us, how does the strength of our faith not grow? Right? And because our faith grows, transformation then takes place within us and the word of God becomes delicious to us. But when the swelling begins, does that mean it's all done? Is that it? No. Just like with my experience with the seeds, when they began to sprout, that's when the trials seemed to come. The distractions started to present themselves. And it's the same with the sprouts that we have growing in our hearts. We can't neglect them. We still have to ensure that they have a strong root system. And we do that through our personal devotions, our checking in with God daily, our weeding the areas and getting rid of the distractions and the lies that would try and threaten the seed and the sprouts. Our diligence is required. And Alma taught that looking forward just with an eye of faith, but not nourishing it will never give you the fruit of the tree of life. Or in other words, it's okay to begin with just a desire. 
But that desire, it must be tended to and strengthened. Just desiring can never possibly grow a tree. So now the Zoramites wanted to know, who was it that they should worship? Was it just one God? And how do they plant the seed in their hearts? What does that look like? How do they exercise faith? And I think these are all of the questions that we've asked ourselves before. And Alma and Amulek, they focused on three principles, the mercy of Jesus Christ, prayer, and redemption through his atonement. So first, the mercy of Jesus Christ. And to me, this is the central characteristic of his that the Book of Mormon testifies of. And if that's true for you as well, then I ask you, how important is it that we get an understanding and a belief in this characteristic of his? He is willing to treat us better than we deserve. He is willing to take away our burdens so that we don't have to be held back or held down by them. He is willing to forgive our sins so that we aren't defined by them anymore. But how many of us are making it complicated to rely upon his mercy? How many of us think we're fine without it? So Alma taught through three witnesses. It was Zenus, Zenic, and Moses. And the first two we're so grateful for because we don't have them in our Old Testament. They're preserved because of the brass plates. But all three of these witnesses begged the people to call upon the mercy of Jesus Christ. How God is angry when we don't. And to be honest with you, that was a little tough for me, the word angry, that God being angry in this regard. But I think this is how significant the Lord's mercy is. The gift that lightens our load, cleanses us, strengthens us, delivers us from the adversary's influence. Yet are we seeking after it? Or is it like the abundance of vegetables in my garden that I finally just got distracted by ice cream and slushies over and rejected the vegetables growing there for me? which would have sustained me and nourished me. Which leads us to our third witness, Moses, and the type that he raised up in the wilderness, the serpent on the staff, the serpent representing Jesus Christ. And all the people needed to do was just look at the serpent and they would be healed. And we always wonder at why the people just wouldn't look. Why wouldn't they do something so easy? And I have to ask you, is it truly any harder for us? I don't think it is. I think we make it hard. I don't think he does. What's hard is overcoming our heart's layers of hardness so that we can pivot and look and bask in his mercy and be healed. Next, we exercise faith in Jesus Christ when we follow the counsel of the prophet Zenos, who counseled us to pray to God, believing or exercising the desire to believe that God hears our prayers, whether we are in the fields or in our house or in our closets, whether we're in private or in public, God hears the prayers. And then Amulek expounds upon this. He taught that we should pray over our flocks, pray over your households morning, midday, and evening, pray unto him against the power of your enemies and against the devil. He counseled us to pray over our crops in our fields, that they will prosper, that our flocks will increase. 
And I know some of you don't have crops and flocks. But like in that, what should you be praying over? That it will prosper and it will increase. And he said, cry for your welfare and for the welfare of others. So approaching prayer, not in doubt that he'll hear you, but envisioning and then believing that he does is experimenting upon the word of God. And then getting off of our knees and moving forward, looking for God's work in our lives, naming it one by one, contributing it all back to him. All of that fills our hearts with joy. It swells within us. It expands our vision of him and what's happening in our lives. It causes a better understanding or an enlightenment and expansion. It swells within us. And transformation begins to take place and sprout and grow. It grows a tree. (laughs) And isn't our faith then strengthened because of that? Finally, how else do we plant the seed in our hearts? How else do we nurture the seed of the word of God? It's believing in the life and the mission of God's son, Jesus Christ. It is believing his great and his last sacrifice mattered and that it has a significant place in your daily life. It's keeping your focus on him despite anything else that comes up. It's living daily in the belief that Christ came among the children of men. He took upon himself our transgressions. He atoned for the sins of the world. That this plan This atonement, it is the grand plan of the eternal God. It is the search and rescue mission to bring us all relief. And it is abundant. We don't need to fear using it too much, like we need to use it scarcely. It is infinite and it's eternal. It will satisfy every bit of the law of Moses and it will cover every bit of our personal redemption. All that is required of us is to believe and to exercise faith, to plant the word of God in our hearts and then to nurture it and then to partake of the fruit of the tree of life abundantly. It is the most precious fruit. It is the atonement of Jesus Christ, his great and last sacrifice for all of us. Amulek also counseled them to stop contending against the Holy Ghost and instead receive it, to take upon themselves the name of Christ and live in thanksgiving and pray continually and have patience. All of this takes patience. All of this is allowing the seed to burst and to unfold and the tree to grow at the rate it needs to in order for it to weather all storms, no matter what. Amulek also very wisely counseled the people not to revile against the Zoramites who were casting them out. He instead insisted that they use their energy and their focus on having a firm faith in Jesus Christ. That should be their focus. And using their energy and focus that one day, They will have rest from what's happening to them right now. They'll have rest from these afflictions. Don't get caught up in the turmoil that is trying 
to demand your attention. And this message of Christ, it was received by the people. Then the people experimented upon the word of God. It literally destroyed the priestcraft among them. And this, of course, angered those who were benefiting off priestcraft. And the rulers and the priests, they privately found out the hearts and minds of the people. And whoever believed on the words of Alma were cast out of the city. But then we have the good people of Jershon, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's or the people of Alma, however you like to refer to them. They were so good. And they took these refugees in and they nurtured them. They nurtured these tender seedlings and sprouts. Because to have faith and not tend to the naked, the poor, the hungry, it's all, all of our works are in vain. And the people of Alma knew this and they lived it despite the threats from the Zoramites. And this angered the Zoramites. And they did exactly what the Nephites feared they would do. They joined forces with the Lamanites. And in several weeks, when we are reviewing chapter 43, that's when we'll pick up the history and we'll continue on with the ramifications of what went down here. But for now, I hope you desire to plant your seeds, to keep in mind God's mercy. I hope you desire to pray more fervently to God, relying and asking upon the mercy of Jesus Christ involving him more abundantly in your life. And while believing that the great and last sacrifice absolutely applies to every aspect of your life, that your life can be better because of it. Now go and plant your seeds.